you came in here, you're going to do this. You're going to give yourself shots. You're taking your future into your hands. I applaud that. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're addressing a topic that is very dear to my heart. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I had my eggs frozen last fall. And when I started sharing my journey on social media, this really resonated with a lot of women out there. So I knew I had to bring in an expert. And let me tell you something, my guest today is so damn impressive. She has so many accolades that this is going to be a very long intro. So please bear with me. <laughs> Jamie M. Notman, MD, is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist with years of experience in IVF treatment, IUI treatment, PCOS treatment, gestational surrogacy, and many other areas. She serves as Director of Fertility Preservation for CCRM New York. After graduating summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Notman received her medical degree from Mount Sinai School of Medicine, where she was elected to the AOA Honor Society. She completed both her residency training in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as her subspecialty training in reproductive endocrinology and infertility from NYU Medical Center. Prior to joining CCRM New York, Dr. Notman was an assistant clinical professor in obstetrics and gynecology at the Mount Sinai Medical Center. She's received numerous awards from NYU, including the Robert F. Porges Award for the graduating honor resident. During her fellowship training, she pursued several areas of research, including fertility preservation for medical and elective indications. She's written several papers devoted to the topic of fertility preservation, specifically egg freezing for cancer patients. She's also been named to the Super Doctors Rising Stars list, was designated a 2019 New York Super Doctor, named in New York Magazine's Top Doctors in 2020 and 2021, a Castle Connolly Exceptional Woman in Medicine in 2020, and a Castle Connolly Top Doctor in 2021. We're not done yet, folks. <laughs> Dr. Notman is a fellow in the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and an active member of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. She's the medical director of Chick Mission, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the critical issues unique to young adult cancer patients with a focus on fertility challenges as a result of chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and or drug treatment. Dr. Notman currently sits on a medical advisory board of Co-Fertility, a health organization dedicated to women's reproductive success. And she's also on the advisory panel of the Breasties, a community for those affected by breast and reproductive cancers. Dr. Notman understands that entering the world of fertility treatment can sometimes be confusing and frightening. To help address these concerns, she and Dr. Talibian co-founded East Meets West Fertility, a website designed to help patients navigate the complexities of fertility treatment and reproductive health. By providing an honest and no-nonsense platform to female health, they embolden women to make informed and confident decisions about their personal lifestyles. Woo! Wow. 
What a CV. I am so thrilled for you to be joining me on the show today, Dr. Notman. Thank you so much for having me. I was like, that would make probably only my parents proud. But yes, that thank you for that intro. Of course. Look, at first, I was actually seriously considering shortening your intro for recording purposes. But then I thought to myself, no, this is not a podcast where we downplay the achievements of women. So here we are. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I always say my greatest achievement are my two daughters, which I guess don't go in a uh, in a bio. But thank you. Of course. Of course. Well, look, let's just dive right in. Dr. Nutman, this podcast is all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women. And because increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building, I always like to start out by asking my guests this question first. Who is a woman that you admire and why? This can be anyone, can be a scientist, a coworker, female founder, investor, activist, doesn't matter. So initially when I thought about this, my first thought came to mind was Michelle Obama, right? Because to me, she is like the epitome of what I want to be myself, what I want my daughters to be. She is graceful. She has fortitude and she doesn't back down from a challenge. And I always think whenever I'm in a bad situation or I'm conflicted, I always think, you know, they go low, we go high. So she definitely comes to the top of my list. However, I have also been incredibly impressed with the women of Iran. Mm-hmm. I, their voices and the way they have stuck to their their cause and in supporting each other, I, I have to say I'm I'm completely blown away by their their strength and their courage. I could not agree more. Both Michelle Obama and the women of Iran, two very courageous groups of women. Absolutely. I loved I loved Michelle Obama's first book. I devoured it when it first came out a couple of years ago. And obviously the women of Iran, that's like a next level of bravery that probably privileged women like us will never be able to fully relate to. And that's why it's so important now that this country has all the attention that we keep raising awareness and that we don't don't look away because okay. if we do they're they're probably all gonna face a not so great destiny love that you mentioned that all right tough tough act to follow up on um so let's let, let's switch gears a little bit because we are talking about fertility today dr notman um Something that really surprised me personally when I went through my first egg freezing cycle was how relatively short the actual cycle was. It took less than two weeks. And and I think a lot of women aren't even aware. I myself thought this would be a process that would span multiple months. And I believe that misconception, in addition to the financial barrier, of course, is a big barrier for many women. So Maybe let's start with the basics. Could you please explain to our listeners what the process actually looks like, starting with the initial consultation all the way through post-egg retrieval recovery? Sure. I, I think that's a common sentiment or misconception that that women have, right? People think egg freezing is going to take months and months. I'm super into metaphors when I meet with my patients. I'm like, we're in a very short-term relationship. You're in, you're out, and you move on. So if I came in for my egg freezing consult today, right, I would sit with a physician, I would talk about what egg freezing was, and I would have an assessment of my egg quantity. The medical term for that is ovarian reserve. So my doctor would say, with an ultrasound and with a blood test, how many follicles do you appear to have? And that number allows us to dose your medications, to counsel you on how many eggs we think you're going to get, and to tell you what your protocol will be. 
Most young, healthy egg freezers, they're starting medication on day two of their period, and they're taking medications for no more than 10 days. So all in the process is really no more than two weeks. The place where it becomes a bit tricky is if a patient has lower egg quantity and we want to pre-treat them with medication, that may take an additional two weeks to do what we call prime the system. Or if you're a patient who's been on long-term birth control, we will ask you to take a break for about a month to let the ovaries wake up. So you won't be coming in, but you will be off of your birth control for about a month. So all in, I really don't think it takes more than two to three weeks in terms of the treatment process. Amazing. To all the ladies who've been considering it out there, you just heard it from the expert. It really doesn't take that much time. It is still a very, at least for me, it was a very physically and emotionally challenging process for sure. So it is important that those two to three weeks, you are making sure that you don't have too many distractions. You have some time focus on yourself. Ideally, you have support from loved ones, whoever that might be, a partner, friends, family, maybe someone who can help with the injections. That was definitely not so fun for me personally. Very grateful that I had my partner was able to support me with that. I always say to patients, like, don't plan a trip to California in the middle, right? Because it's going to stress you out. It's going to stress me out. So take two weeks where you can be in the New York area and then give yourself about a week of recovery Right. Not recovery where you have to be in bed, but I always say like, if you're going to go to a black tie wedding and wear like a skin tight dress, you're not going to be happy with the way you look. It's yes. not permanent weight gain yep. or bloat, but you won't want to schedule it in there. So we have a lot of women who do this around their weddings, right? Because they decide to get married later or they're doing this before. And I always say, let's try and do this like six months before the wedding so that you're done. You can get back to doing whatever, you know, you want to do and move on. That's so relatable because when I think back about my own journey, like the first two, three weeks post retrieval, I legit looked like as if I was pregnant. Like, yeah. I kid you not, I was carrying like a ball in front of me. Definitely n- no big events around that time schedule. That's important. Definitely. But to add to that topic of misconceptions around fertility, I personally blame our society's lack of education around reproductive and female health in general. And, you know, there's actually real doctors hopefully not fertility specialists, but doctors telling women to wait until they're 36 years old. And that really infuriates me because on average, a 36-year-old woman will very likely have significantly fewer eggs or follicles that are also of lower quality compared to, let's say, a 26-year-old, right? So as a result, the 36-year-old female will likely have to go through multiple expensive and emotionally and physically challenging egg freezing cycles as she will likely need a higher number of eggs to plan for one attempt at a baby. And then there's obviously always also the chance that she could be diagnosed with an underlying condition that she wasn't aware of, such as PCOS or endometriosis, for example. Um, What are some of the most common and most dangerous misconceptions around fertility and egg freezing that you have encountered throughout your career? So it's interesting you say that. I did a consult with a woman yesterday who was 34, turning 35 in a few weeks. And she said, oh, my OB said, just do this, wait until I'm 36. And I was thinking, why is she saying that to her? It, it's very antiquated, right? I, I think for a long time, we felt as the technology was not as good. But also, I think women physicians were afraid to approach this with their patients because it was almost seen as 
well, you're 36, you haven't found someone, do you feel like a failure? There was so much emotional like stigma tied behind it. And now what I think is that the younger women are sort of, you know, they're pushing this forward, they're doing it, they're telling their friends. And so more and more women know to do it at a younger age. What I say to my younger patients is, sure, maybe you think, well, I'm 28, I'm so young. But what I say to them is, you'll do this one time, you'll get more eggs, and you'll have more benefit from it. Yes, sure, you could wait till you're 33. And there's nothing wrong with being 33, because that's still better than being 36. But you're going to have to do it likely more than you would at an earlier age. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's that's exactly what I want women out there to know. Because for context, I started sharing on on Instagram that I was doing that. And I received so many messages from women like friends, college classmates, high school were like, hey, thank you so much for sharing. I've been considering that. And now I'm like messaging all of them like, get on it. Like, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go through the entire process right away, but at least get your fertility checked, right? So I say that all the time. I say information is power, right? So if you go in and you find out my ovaries look amazing and you're 28 and you're like, you know what? I want to give it a couple of years. Fine. But I saw yesterday or not yesterday, the day before a 31 year old just turned 31. She came in and she was like, my OB told me I have PCOS. I was thinking about doing this, but let me see. She actually didn't have PCOS. She was going through early menopause. Her cycles were irregular because she was in the throes of it. And what I said to her was, I really commend you for coming here because had you not, you would have never known. So we're going to try and see what we can do to help her preserve her fertility before she goes through menopause. Now, yes, that's not the norm, but I have seen this time and time again. So if you come in, you learn about it, you don't have to do it, but you may find out that there's something there that should make you do it. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, to your point, just now, every woman's body is different, right? Like, Yep. Yep. I'm 28 and apparently and unfortunately my fertility has already declined, at least in terms of egg quantity. And and I, I will go through a second, maybe even a third egg freezing cycle while someone else my age, you know, it might only take one cycle to get to yeah. the same quantity of frozen eggs. Right. And I just think that many women in their 20s aren't even actively thinking about fertility and fertility preservation yet. So with my advocacy work, I'm really trying to change that and get women in their 20s to, to my point earlier, have their fertility checked at least by a fertility specialist. Because as we know, even gynecologists sometimes don't really know what they're talking about, unfortunately. And that's why we're having this conversation today. Medicine has become so subspecialized. We're so good at one area. I mean, it's a joke in my family. Something will happen to one of my kids and they'll come to me and I'll say, I don't know, I'm not a pediatrician. Like, I'm not a orthopedist. Like, I know one area really well. We don't know other things. And so it does not hurt to just come in and get information. Right. And what would be the best way for women to go about it? They've never had any exposure to this topic. Do they reach out directly to a fertility clinic? Do you need a referral? What does that look like? You don't need a referral. You can just reach out directly to a fertility clinic and you can come in and we can assess your ovaries with these two different technologies. Also, what I say is we take medical histories a bit different than other people do. So I want to know a lot about your mom or your sisters or your aunts, right? I want to know what their fertility experience was. I also may pick up on nuances in your menstrual cycle or things in your medical history that concern me 
because I'm looking at it slightly differently. So it doesn't hurt just to have that data evaluated in a specific way. Mm, love that. Love that. Um, Dr. Nutman, let's talk about money because this podcast is about helping women build wealth after all. And family planning obviously plays a huge role in someone's financial journey. Once the kids are there, that's obvious. They but are expensive, yes. They, yeah. they are very expensive, as you know, personally. But when it comes to fertility, there can be huge costs associated with it. In many cases, fertility preservation does allow women to delay pregnancy so they can focus on their careers and, and making money first, which is, which is incredible. That being said, we all know egg freezing, IVF, that's expensive. My first cycle was a little over 30 grand, which is a lot. Granted, yeah. I live in New York City, so I know it can be cheaper in other parts of the country, and it oftentimes is cheaper abroad. I know women who've left the country who had it done somewhere in Europe. Um, but I'm, I'm personally very privileged because my employer is offering extremely generous fertility benefits, so my out-of-pocket was actually less than $1,000, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, curious to, to get your point of view, Dr. Notman, what needs to happen in order for egg freezing, fertility preservation in general to become more financially accessible to more women? And in what ways do you see egg freezing become more mainstream in the future? So I think what's changed significantly so is more and more companies offering an egg freezing fertility preservation benefit. That is why the age of the egg freezing patient has dropped dramatically, right? Most of my career, the egg freezing patients were in their 40s. Because by the time you make it to your 40s, a lot of times you do have extra money there that you can spend on yourself or something you, you know, you really want. But when you're 28, 30, you don't have that disposable cast. Most of us don't. Right. But now that so many companies, all of the tech companies are covering it. A lot of the banks, the law firms, I think as more and more companies put this into their policies, I think it'll be very advantageous for their female employees. Um, you know, insurance in this country is really messed up. Like we could sit and talk for hours. Our LGBTQ community, they're not even able to access the benefits they have, even when they have them, because the insurance company doesn't see them as infertile. Right. So there's a lot of restrictions based on whoever sets the laws at the top. So I think more and more companies recognizing that this is a benefit for female employees, like if you want to retain female talent, you got to offer this. And I think that will be quite helpful and allow more women to do it. Love that. And it was interesting. Luckily, I have a pretty good gynecologist who was like, yes, absolutely do it right away. Don't wait until you're, you're 36. And she, she was telling me that she believes that it's probably going to be mainstream for women, young women to do egg freezing within the next five to 10 years. What is your take on that? I agree. So I said that there was a, three things, in my opinion, that really pushed egg freezing forward. Number one was the companies covering it. Number two was social media. You know, as the mom of two girls, sometimes I'm like, social media, you know. But I do think it was very beneficial because it allowed women to see it, to see it like in real time for a lot of people and to see that it was able to be done. And number three was the pandemic. I cannot tell you how the pandemic shifted women's attitude as far as I could see towards fertility. 
because a lot of us were stuck at home and we really started to contemplate, what do I want out of life? And I think family really rose to the top because you saw being alone or, you know, thinking about your future, you thought, well, in my future, I'd like to be a parent. So that allowed a lot of women to reconsider their fertility journeys and to come in to freeze eggs. Mm, yeah, can totally see that. I think, in fact, one of the very few positive side effects of the pandemic has been people being a lot more introspective, right? Reflecting yes. on life. Also, I see that focus on on general wellness, mental health, physical health, right? Um, so I think now we're also craving for spaces, safe spaces where people can have these important conversations where women can be vulnerable with other women, talk about their experiences. Because let's be real, there is a lot of things that are happening still behind closed doors that nobody talks about. Fertility and fertility preservation is one topic, but then, you know, miscarriage, for example, there's so many women having miscarriages and we as a society just don't do a good job at talking about that. And as a result, a lot of women or couples are suffering yeah. in silence when big chunk of people are are going through very similar experiences. So I love to your point, both pandemic and also social media have allowed for for all of these topics to enter a more public discourse. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like anything is easier with a community with you, right? So when we're alone, we feel isolated, we feel scared. But if you have the support of other individuals, whether it be in real life or virtually or whatever it is, you're going to feel more comfortable about the space you enter. And I always say to my patients, I get like why people initially have shame, like, oh, I'm here. I didn't find a partner. I'm freezing my eggs. And I say, reverse that story. You are a badass. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can say that on No, TV, you absolutely like, can. You can. I'm like, you came in here. You're going to do this. You're going to give yourself shots. You're taking your future into your hands. I applaud that. I think that's awesome. So reverse the narrative in your heads. You know, stop thinking of what you didn't do and think about what you are doing. That's so interesting. And this bring up a new question, like how much of your work involves helping patients reframe the narrative like that, almost like counseling. Yeah, yeah. I, I say my role is like the way that I practice medicine. I'm sort of like the older sister for a lot of my patients. I'm very blunt. What I am is like what you see is what you get. And I always say, listen, I'm going to give it to you straight. Like this is where you are, but this is how we can move forward. I think my own journey you know, we've all been through things. We can use what we've learned and help women grow. So I'm very open about it. I didn't go through infertility. I went through a bad divorce. I can use that to help women look to their future with the knowledge that I've gained. We're on a team together. Like, we're going to do this. You're going to get to the end. And then you're going to feel good about what you did. I love that. I think that's what more women need in their lives, that transparency, honesty, and just telling them straight how how it is. Is it difficult for you sometimes to not get too emotionally invested yourself? Very difficult. Uh, I've struggled with this for years. I, you know, because I want it so badly for other women. I, I think about my own life. Like I said, the greatest gift I've ever been given of all of the things I've been given are my two daughters. 
So I know how amazing that relationship is. So I want it so badly for other patients. And when it doesn't happen or there's not a successful outcome, I really, really struggle with how to separate myself from the couple or the individual. What I have learned is that it's okay to be upset and to be sad and to sit in that discomfort with a couple, right? You don't always need to have the answer. Even like if you have a friend or, you know, family member going through something really bad, you sit on the couch next to them, you read a book, like just knowing somebody is there. I'll get on the phone and I'll say to the patient, this is what it is. Tell me when you want to talk and we'll make a plan. It's like hard to accept negative, even as a doctor, when you want it so badly for the other person. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, doctors, you're only human as well, right? And yeah, it's, um, it's maybe sometimes easy to forget. So I think it's important to give you all that space as well and acknowledge that you've chosen a profession that is probably very fulfilling and you're actually having a huge impact on so many people's lives. But sometimes it's probably challenging to to just like sit with your emotions and allow yourself to just like go through the pain. Yeah. Because you're grieving as well, right? That patient's grieving and you're grieving yeah. because you're grieving for what didn't become. I always say what I've learned is like grief really is a multi-stage process. We right. have to grieve what we lose or we have to grieve what we cannot attain. But the thing about grief, I say to my patients, is we cannot sit in the grief for too long, right? Because if you're caught in the sadness, you can't move forward and look at an alternate journey. So I say, I'm going to tell you the bad news, but let's talk in three days or two days because then you can emote and then we can make a plan to move forward. Now, maybe it will be with a donor egg or a gestational carrier or donor sperm or whatever it is. And that may not be the journey you had planned, but there's so many options out there if we can sort of accept, because grief is about acceptance, accept all of the different pathways. I love that. I love that. I think that's that's a very healthy attitude and perspective to to have and oftentimes it just helps when you sleep at night over something and yeah. you wake up and already feel a little bit better um speaking of grief and feelings i've had very mixed emotions throughout this entire process because even though i am very privileged to have been able to complete an egg freezing cycle in the first place i actually got really frustrated that i had to subject my body to all of these drugs and overall psychologically and physically challenging process instead of our society creating conditions that make it easier for aspiring mothers to combine career and motherhood. I think it shouldn't be on us women to find a solution to a systemic issue, but until our society has made some significant progress, women should absolutely feel more comfortable exploring fertility preservation. And we already talked a little bit about that earlier with raising awareness, women and and couples in general being more introspective when it comes to family planning, the power of, of social media. Is there anything else that you can think of, Dr. Nachman, that women can do to support themselves and other women throughout this challenging journey? I think remove in every any way you can remove the judgment, like mm -hmm. stop judging yourself. Stop judging other people. Nobody's life is really what it looks like on Instagram. Stop judging what your body did, what your body didn't do. Be kinder to ourselves. 
I always say to women, find something that you love about yourself or you love to do and, and, and be proud of that and do that and share that goodness. Like, I think if you judge yourself for this is what I look like, that's what she looks like. This is how many eggs I got all the time I hear. Well, she got 20 and I got 18. I'm like, yep. And that person has, you know, $20 million and I don't. Like, you're always going to find someone who has more or someone who is better or whatever you want to think, but be happy with who you are. I can so relate to that. I'm going to be really honest with you. I only had seven eggs frozen during my first cycle. Having done research, having talked to doctors, the average woman my age would have probably gotten closer to like 10 to 20 eggs. Like, yeah, it's just a reality. And like, it's really tough to turn, turn those thoughts off in your head. Be like, oh, should I have done this before? Should I have focused more on my diet? Should I have exercised more? Like, is there something inherently wrong with me if I'm actually going to try conceiving in the future because the whole reason why I did it was because I I wanted to postpone all of that for a couple more years. But now it has opened as almost like can of worms where my partner and I are now having all of these conversations. Oh, could we actually have trouble conceiving and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like a lot of these thoughts are really, really toxic. But at the end of the day, a lot of this is outside of my control because I was born with my total ovarian egg reserve, right? There's there's not a whole lot I can do now. I think there's some things that I can probably do next time around where we can fine tune a couple of things. To your point earlier, um, you were mentioning that for some patients who have fewer follicles available, it makes sense to start treatment a little bit earlier. In fact, that's what my doctor recommended that we do for my second time around, like adding like an estrogen patch or something yep, for two. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what we're going to try next time. But yeah, it, it definitely takes some time for for you to stop judging yourself. And I think there is a small part of me where that will never go away. But to your points earlier, I just have to accept it and move on. And it's not going to serve me. It's not going to serve my doctor. It's not going to serve my partner or my future children if I keep being angry with myself. Yeah, because anger never serves us, right? I always say, I say it to my kids all the time, like, you can be angry, but then you got to let it go because it's never going to serve you to sit and stay angry at that person or yourself or whatever it is. And most of the time, this is the same sentiment women report when they miscarry. And I say, it was not what you drank. It was not what you ate. It was not that you ran to catch the bus. It was simply because this wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy. And we just can't, we can't sit there and blame ourselves. I see it all the time. Oh, I had pasta. I had a glass of wine. You know, that's why my eggs aren't good. I said, remember, people get pregnant doing drugs. It's not, it's not anything you did. No, absolutely. Would love to, to spend a minute or two talking about your incredible work with East Meets West Fertility, because I had a look at the website, read a couple of the blog articles, loved it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that resource? So Shiva Talabian and I are partners. We've actually been friends since we were teenagers and we've worked together for years and years, went to all the same training. And in our journey as on our careers, we met Mary Sabo, who is an acupuncturist. And what we found was that the three of us really worked better as a team than in isolation. 
And Shiva and I always say the older we get, the more Eastern we become. Like we really start to accept the other way of thinking in medicine, right? In our world, in Western medicine, we're very systems-based. So you're a cardiologist, you're a gastroenterologist, you're a neurologist. But in Eastern medicine, it's the whole system. So we said to ourselves, wow, they are really onto something, those Eastern physicians. And so we decided to blend the two and share our common knowledge. I love that. And actually, because of that resource that you put together, I started reading some blog posts. And now I'm actually considering doing acupuncture for a couple of months before I'm doing my my second cycle. I say to myself that if you don't try different things, it may it may not work, but it'll always make you feel better to know you tried it. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with acupuncture, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Notman, it's it's supposed to help with increasing the blood flow to your ovaries, correct? And a couple of different things, but that was like the main thing that stood out to me. It helps you with blood flow. It's also, I think, a stress reliever for a lot of women because it's a way to take your anxiety down, right? Like if you go into that dark room and they put those needles and you fall asleep, it definitely reduces your stress. And who knows? Like we know stress has an impact on every part of the body. Do I think that it's why women suffer from infertility? I don't, right? But I think if there's a way to modify that, it has to be helpful. It's interesting that you're mentioning the older we get, the more inclusive of Eastern approaches you've become. Because reality is there are proven outcomes that many patients can attest to. So I think it's important to have a more holistic perspective there. I think medicine... And I hate to say this, I don't mean to sound sexist, but since women have sort of really flooded the gates of medicine, the egos have removed from a lot of it, right? You can't have an ego in this game. Like, I'm not the best doctor. Sure, you make that list and you're like, oh, I feel so great. But the reality is you're so much better when you play on a team than when you play alone. Absolutely. Look, Dr. Nutman, we're coming up on time, but I don't only always like to start out with the same question, but I also like to close with the same question for each of my guests. If I gave you a million dollars today to invest somewhere, can be a company or can be a cause that would benefit women, where would you invest? I think I, I have an idea, but curious to know what, what you're about to say. Yeah. So as a gynecologist, you know, first and foremost, I believe in reproductive choice. So the overturning of Roe was very, very challenging for me to watch. So I would invest that money in women's reproductive rights. I I think that to tell a woman she cannot make a choice with her body is ultimately telling her she can't not make a choice about her life. And that is just, in my opinion, not acceptable. Period. I don't think we need to add any more to that. Thank you so, so much for joining me here today, Dr. Notman. This was such an incredible conversation. Thank you for all the important work that you do to help women. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to participate and to talk to women about what I love to do. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency. It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. 
If you already left a review, first of all, thank you. But why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.